again. Yes, it's Oblong Desk and John and Noakes with you for now 29. We're getting through them. Uh, hello, Noakes. How are you? Uh, hi, John. Yes, I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah, ready for another one. Uh, it's almost at the same time of year that it was released, so it feels like the right time to be doing this one. And uh, a mixed bag, I think, this time round. And and for my money, and we'll talk about this as we go through, but some really, really bizarre choices from Ashley Abraham in, in terms of not so much the songs he picked, but the order in which he stuck them. There, there really seems to be a break this time from the kind of traditional start with the biggins, have a bit of rock, have a bit of R&B on disc to that kind of thing. It's all over the shop, this one. I'm not sure what he was thinking. Yes, it is very much. Um, a mixed bag is a good phrase, I think. There's some uh, pretty good highs on here, but also some pretty poor lows, and often they're back-to-back with each other. Um, and as you say, ap- apart from one brief moment of uh, inspiration on disc one, uh, the sequencing is a little bit all over the place, yes. We always have a look at the disc cover. What's this one like? Yeah, well, it's the first um, thin double jewel case box, as we discussed previously when we were talking about Now 28. That was the final fat box one. Um, And almost um, as if they were anticipating people going in the shops and thinking, hang on, that looks a bit thin. Why have they only given us one disc? There's a little blurb in the top right corner that says, two CD set, lest you think that you're being fobbed off by the now people. Um, but other Oh, that's than, good. Yeah, it's quite nice, nice touch, and they only did it for this one, so they obviously assumed that people would get the idea after that, which is probably making a big assumption on the part of the Great British public, but let's not go there. Um, it's, um, it's a gold spangly Now 29 um, on a kind of um, starry blue sky background i would say not especially christmasy given some of the covers i'd say 26 was a lot more christmasy than this one um but still quite a nice one i think um and in terms of in terms of release dates and other things uh released 14th of november 1994 so um very much towards uh christmas this one and uh, at the time it was the biggest seller of all of the Standard Now albums. This may surprise you when we go through the track listing, but it's true. Uh, And it held that record as the biggest seller until Now 44 came along. Um, It contains 38 top chart hits, to quote the blurb on the back. They're split evenly, 19 on each disc. It's the first appearance of Oasis, who we'll be encountering many, many times in the future. And uh, I'll give you my thoughts on that a bit later. And it's the last appearance for, amongst others, Robert Palmer. Those are two very contrasting artists um, and indicative, I think, of the variety that we have coming up. Shall we begin, then, our little quest? And uh, we, we, we ought to start, really, uh, with track one, disc one. That would be a traditionally quality thing to do. And it's this... Pato Banton with Robin and Ali Campbell and Baby Come Back. She knows. 
Disc one, track one on Now 29. Baby Come Back from Pato Banton with the brothers from UB40, Robin and Ali Campbell. Uh, as usual, a big hitter for the first track on the discs. First of three number one songs on here, which is a 100% record, I think, for the ones that uh, Ashley could have chosen um, because wet, 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 we're number one for ages and then it's got the three number ones after that on here and then the next one after that was Baby D, which I think came along a little bit too late for this compilation so um having said that this song was at number two when the album was compiled it mentions that in the notes so not quite a number one when uh, this album was being put together but i think it would have been a fairly safe bet that it was going to be number one because it just has that feel to it doesn't it i think it was one of those slow burners it took a while to get going up the charts but um motored up to number one eventually yeah and, and i hated this at the time i hated it with a passion because that's that's really where i was with ub40 on on a personal level i just really didn't like what they were doing at this time and and do you know i i'm willing to say that i was wrong because i've gone back and i've listened to it you know without that kind of i don't know what it was about ub40 they were just really annoying me i think it was all the cover versions and and, and just too much reggae in my life um but you go back and you listen to it now and it's actually a lot of fun um Pato Banton's rap has got some really nice touches in it. Obviously, there's the bring back me CD collection and things like that. Uh, and as you say, it's a big hitting song to start off with. So uh, one of those occasions where time has actually been kind to 90s reggae, which isn't always the case. Yeah, I think that's true, because you do still hear this one on the radio, which is more than can be said for most of the others. Maybe Chakademus and Plyers get the odd airing um, for perhaps Tease Me, and that's probably about it. Um, the likes of Bitty McLean and people like that you don't tend to hear very often on the radio these days. But this one, I think, does still get played. And um, and the brothers Campbell, I think they do add to this, which is good. In In a way, it is like a kind of... UB40 song with a guest vocalist I suppose. Um, they're the two that haven't fallen out aren't they? It's 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 another brother that they both of them fell out with I think which is why we now have two UB40s um, as if we as if we needed more than one um, but uh, the real one is the one with uh, Ali Campbell and Astro in I think um, that that's the one yeah. to go and see should you ever be able to go to gigs again. Um, so yeah yes. good, good start to the album um, hmm, shame about the next selection, really, isn't it? <laughs> Track two. Oh, it is. Oh, yes, dear. yes. Cindy Lauper and Hey Now Brackets Girls just want to have fun brackets off. And uh, the Hey Now has just ruined it. It's just a horrendous idea, this, and probably one of the worst reworkings in the history of popular music. Where has all the energy gone? In the original, it sounded like they were actually having fun. Uh, this is like one of those girls' nights out, you know, when the when the girls from work go on a night out, uh, which was going to be really wild and fun. But what they ended up doing is sitting in the Rat and Parrot, listening to Sandra from Human Resources, moaning about how Dave isn't giving her the attention he used to, and should she leave him or get a boob job? It, it's just one of those. It's horrible. Well, I, I never really liked the original. Um, it's one of those that I call a housewife classic. In other words, it's on Lung FM every hour, and uh, it is a hen-night-tastic song, as you said. However, you know, I'm, I'm willing to acknowledge that it is a well-made song, the original. I can understand why people like it. This, as you say, is just a complete waste of time. Someone's 
realised there's loads of reggae on the radio and in the charts lately and has gone, oh, hi, hi, Cindy, how about we do this? And she's probably gone, yeah, whatever, because that's the kind of thing she would do. She probably wouldn't care. And, uh, oh, we'll whack a Greatest Hits album out and put this on it as well. That'll be fun, won't it? Well, yes, that'll be some nice royalties. Thank you. And, uh, I mean, why wouldn't you, frankly? But I don't want to listen to it ever again. And horribly, this is the version that quite often gets played now. Is it? Um, oh. Yes, you, you hear this far too often on the radio. Not round here, I wouldn't say. So maybe it's a, maybe it's a Dan Saff thing. But uh, round, round our way in the Midlands, um, I think most, most stations do play the original. Mm, no, I, I hear this far too often. I think because it may be a little more radio friendly i.e mm. it's newer and therefore yeah. easier to find but yeah it's it's horrible i don't like it at all and um the only thing to be said in its favor is that it's not big mountains baby <laughs> i love your way which follows on as track three there is nothing to like about this it's a fairly turgid song in the first place it's in, in its original form and, and it's subsequently had everything that was in the original sucked out of it it's vapid it's horrid i mean we really struggled with finding a Warnock for this album, not because there wasn't much choice. There was too much choice, listener. Uh, I mentioned there were some terrible lows on this album, and unfortunately here we are on track three, and we've already reached one of them. Yes, I agree. It's a hateful song. Uh, We have to give thanks to Wet 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 for keeping this at number two for three weeks. I know you're not a fan, but uh, I do think Love Is All Around is miles better than this. Um, At at least it's a better cover version anyway. Um, and, And also, why did we need this? Because... If you like limp, slightly radio-friendly cover versions, then Will to Power did a perfectly serviceable one five years earlier when they mixed it with um, Freebird, didn't they? And that was a top ten. Yeah. So you know that it, wasn't that wasn't bad at all. It was all right. I mean, it's like I say, it's fairly kind of bland AOR pop, but it, it was all right. Um, this is ten times worse, and therefore um, didn't need to be made. Uh, did you know where the um, Peter Frampton original got to in the chart, though? Uh, I don't, but I imagine it wasn't very high. Number 43. So it wasn't even a big hit in the first place. Uh, and Peter Frampton, of course, was the king of that thing that made his voice go funny, wasn't he? Yeah, what was that it was called? Like uh, shop's own vocoder. It was like a homemade vocoder. It, was it very did have tenor. a name, didn't it? And I can't remember now what it was it's called um that i it might come to me later if i remember i'll uh... oh listener will sort that out yes that's not our job to do that kind of research okay track four then uh let's move on take that it's not often in early take that that you go thank god for take that but sure is track four um I personally am still holding out for Back for Good, but this is a damn sight better than what they had been doing. There's a lot more um, sass and soul to this, and it's sung a lot better. Really? You see, I've always regarded this as one of my least favourite Take That songs. Uh, and, And I thought that it's actually a bit of a shame that they finally got the rights to a Take That song on a Now album fairly soon after it came out. Very soon, actually, in this case. Um, a number one hit, so fair dues, you know. If, if Ashley got on the phone to uh, 
whoever take that stroke or company were, I can't remember off the top of my head, and said, can we have this one? And usually they'd say no, and this time they said, yeah, sure. Then um, I'll see what I did there. See, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking, I, I, I wasn't even thinking about that. And yes, that was straight off the top of my head. Um, we don't, we don't uh, script everything, listener. That that was genuinely uh, ad libbing. Um, so uh, yeah, they they said, yeah, you can have that one, Ashley. He would have probably gone, fantastic. Um, I don't really like it. Even at the time, I thought it was a bit cheap and nasty um so i think we've just got diametrically opposed opinions on this one however it's clearly not as bad as the previous two songs so we can be thankful for that at least uh, and things are looking up considerably from my point of view for track five which is michelle gale's sweetness um she's so smiley i love michelle gale i loved her on grain chill i loved her on eastenders and uh, no, she, she's got a fairly good singing voice the the song is fairly average so by rights I should be giving this no more than a it's all right average review. But Michelle is lovely. I do have double standards. You're just going to have to deal with it. And, and and proof that we don't script all the jokes in this. Um, I noticed you introed that by saying things are looking up and uh, you didn't you didn't refer back to that in any way. Um, so clearly you weren't referring to the fact that her first hit single was called Looking Up. So there we go. We're just I, on it today. Yeah, yeah. We're just, we're, we we're just, we're just linked into the now sphere um, and uh, we, we're coming up with all this stuff. Anyway, uh, Looking Up was a bit rubbish. That was a hit the year before. Didn't make it on a now album. Didn't make it on very many compilations at all, actually, strangely. Um, Sweetness was on practically every uh, late 94 compilation but that's absolutely fine because uh, I think it's a perfectly good pop song uh, played it at the time on uh, URM we'll come back to URN circa this time a bit later I think um, and uh, yeah it's it's a nice tune it still stands up um, maybe not quite her finest work there's another one she did later that I preferred um, can't remember if it's on a now album so I'll save that for uh, for later potentially but um, it's certainly top draw compared to uh, what we've just had before it. And uh, I think mm. we're going to have another difference of opinion on the next one, aren't we? Well, there's only one way to find out. Let's play it. It's Oblong Desk. We are reviewing Now 29. We've reached track six, which is what you just heard. It was, uh, of course, Saturday Night from Wigfield, our third number one hit on this album. Uh, I'm going to start first on this one. I loved it at the time, um, even though I've always hated, you know, dance routines where you have to do things in a certain order because I don't have the brain to remember any of that. If there was a, a strictly for DJs, I would be absolutely out in the first round and terrible darling um or however it it goes and um i i i liked it then as a song i don't really like it much now and i do regret one of the 
silliest things I ever did in the name of kind of sarcastic comedy. Um, they asked me to review the Wigfield album for uh, the University of Nottingham newspaper Impact, which I think is still going, isn't it? I think it's. I think it's. Yep, yep. I think it's still called Impact, isn't it? Um, I I reviewed it and in a non-ironic way gave it ten out of ten because I thought it was magnificent. I truly apologise for everyone who was listening to popular music at the time and who was reading that newspaper. I uh, clearly made a mistake there, so um, sorry about that. What I love about this is that it, you can go to any disco now and it has a truly hypnotic effect. It does not matter what disco it is. You could be at the coolest nightclub. You can be at a wedding disco. It doesn't matter. The second you hear diddy da da half the room jumps into line with their arms out in front of them ready. Mums, who were mere teenagers at the time, are now teaching their kids the dance as much as they teach them times tables or how to pour a gin and tonic correctly. This has been going for a quarter of a century. I'm amazed that Wigfield hasn't used these kind of powers for evil. She could easily command a housewife army and take over the world. <laughs> this song is, and its dance routine, truly has entered the fabric of society. And for that reason, I just say hats off. It, it, it is massive and well deserves to be heard. And I don't mind it when it comes on because I think, to, I, I think you know, Clearly, it's just a, a knockabout sing-along tune, but it captured the imagination. And if a song can do that, good or bad, and stick around for, like I say, more than 25 years and still cause people joy, then good on it. That's a fine defence, I think. So, uh, yeah, I, I will concede that. And um, in terms of invading, though, uh, invading our consciousness, Scandinavians never really go in for that, do they? They're, they're too laid back. They tend to get invaded themselves, don't they? Apart from the Vikings, of course. Um, yes. So, uh, so I guess uh, that, that's why that never happened, maybe. Uh, but, mm. uh, but yeah, it was... Um, I mean, the thing is, you, you know a song has really got into the public consciousness when it inspires a novelty song. And within, pff, what, two months, less... Of this coming out, there was a novelty one in time for Christmas. Do you remember Wiggle in Line by Black Duck? Oh, yes, I do. Yes, which was a, a toaster, as they used to call them, um, doing squeaky voice noises while uh, someone did a poor impression of Wigfield in the background. And, and you know, I, I do have strong, happy memories associated with this. Um, those who were around in Nottingham, contemporary with us, um, will remember Catherine... Um, May she, uh, may she rest in peace. But Catherine loved stuff like this. And I have a, a clear vision of going to the club. Um, I can't remember exactly where it was, but it was called Vogue Minogue. And they just played lots of pop and cheesy stuff. And Catherine was right at the front doing the dance because she loved doing the dance. And it was just whole rows and lines of people doing it. It was like some weird political rally. and Because I, I can, as I said, never have the aptitude to do um, dances with you know, prescribed moves. I was just stood drinking and watching this, and it was extraordinary. It really, I, you can't recreate stuff like that. So on that basis, yeah, okay, you've you've won me over. Um, it's uh, it certainly has good memories, if nothing else. Excellent. I don't think that uh, MC Sar and the Real McCoys Another Night can quite be put in the same bracket of iconic. But what it is, um, it's inoffensive. And we'll discover through the rest of Now 29, as we've already sort of touched on, but through the rest of this album, being inoffensive is quite a big bonus. Yeah, it's not a crime. I mean, I've always liked this one. This one, 
has kind of stood the test of time for me. Um, I'm not sure why. I, did, I mean, I played it at the time when it was out on URN. I, I always liked it. I think it's a bit of a shame it's not more of a radio staple because it was for a while and it's kind of dropped out of favour, really. Um, this was a pre-release track. So Mr. Abram putting it quite early in the listings, but I guess he probably knew it had been big in Europe and, you know, uh, it turned out to be a good punt. It got to number two. Um, and uh, they had a few more hits. We'll be... I think covering at least one of those later um, so fair enough but they were as ever with a lot of European dance bands it was very much the law of diminishing returns this was the biggest hit and the one that you'd probably remember if you remember any of them um, the next one is a lot more <laughs> of a radio staple certainly another number two hit it's the third in a row to have the word night at the end of it so a little a little triple A for that bit obvious maybe Absolutely. but you know even so it is um, rhythm of the night by the unfortunately in retrospect titled corona they didn't know at the time no. uh, and um, well the rapino brothers are in there again well done the italians uh, it's another quality dance track and actually the dance on this album is pretty solid there isn't there isn't much yeah, yeah, it is. rubbish dance they they've managed to pick out some corkers um, i really like this i think uh, they say stood up it still works. You still hear it on the radio. And it doesn't sound that dated. No, I don't think it does. Um, and it's uh, the, the vocals are pretty strong. I mean, it's, it's Olga de Souza, brilliant name, uh, singing this one. She's actually Brazilian, but as you say, the others, uh, the production team were Italian. And um, again, a bit like MC Sarah on The Real McCoy, though more successfully, I think they had a few more hits later on that were kind of similar not maybe as good this is the one everyone remembers and uh yeah i think it's uh, quite rightly still on the radio number two hit good stuff and uh, a nice little dance soul maybe if you include michelle gale section in there and then all of a sudden <laughs> after that we get track nine yes we're going to change the mood a little now this is new orders true faith 94 and I didn't remember until I went back and listened to it just how much of a change and how much of a different version it was from the original. The original being, you know, you can't argue with the the quality of that uh, from uh, 1987, wasn't it, the original uh, version? Yeah, it was. Um, Now, we've heard over the course of the Oblong Desks enough examples of bands, quote, remixing things to spectacularly bad effect or no difference whatsoever. There's heaps of those. This is really interesting. I think it's much sparser, slightly slower. Uh, it's completely re-sung and replayed. It's altogether a more grown-up sound. There's a lot more room for the bass and the guitar and Bernard Summer's vocal to breathe. So mm, you can take your pick, but... I think it stands up very well, and it was altogether a worthwhile project for them to to do. Yeah, it's almost um, almost a different song in its own right. In, in the same way that when Blue Monday '88 came uh, along, that was a you know four minute version of a seven and a half minute twelve inch song, and and was essentially completely different. Um, this. Uh, isn't maybe quite the same because I think it, it knocks a bit off the running time, doesn't it? I think it's about four and a half minutes long as opposed to about five and a half. Um, 
but uh, but as you say, you know, it, it's done in the right way. It's it's slightly reworked, um, and yeah, it's it's fine. It's absolutely fine. Uh, again, it was a bit like the Cindy Lauper one, though uh, obviously more successfully. It was done um, to time with the greatest hits collection. There seemed to be a lot of them about, even more than usual that year. So um, that was the reason for it existing. But unlike Cindy Lauper, at least it had a reason to exist, and it was a top ten hit again. So you know, fair enough. It does then have that kind of thing where you go, oh, the original was good, and I don't have to think too hard because I know the words already. So you can then just enjoy, as I say, the kind of more grown-up version of it. Uh, speaking of grown-up, um, some some grown-up, I don't know what you'd call this. Would you call it pop? It's, mm, it's kind yeah. of laid-back, mellow pop. Anyway, it's track 10, and it's Sophie B. Hawkins with Right Beside You. now 29 that we're reviewing on oblong desk this time you just heard uh, a segment of track 10 on disc one right beside you from sophie b hawkins a number 13 hit um strange really it spent so long in the top 40 that i think you'd probably assume it got in the top 10 but a bit like damn i wish i was your lover it hung around quite a long time without ever being a super hit however um it stands up very well again i've already said this once and i think even more so for this than MC Sarr on The Real McCoy. It's a mystery that you don't really hear it very much these days. It was a radio staple for a few years afterwards, I think. Um, it's just a lovely song. Um, it's it's mellow. Um, it's well sung. It's well put together. Um, I don't like the uh, twirly ending to it. That goes on far too long. Um, but then most of the time, I certainly would chop it if I was playing it on the radio. So you don't necessarily hear that bit. Apart from that, it's uh, pretty much bang on. I would definitely agree. I, I think it's stirring and powerful. The verse, particularly, just so so driven. I love Sophie's voice. Um, I think this is the best thing that she recorded. I pretty much like you have nothing but love for it. Top song. Yeah, it is. Well, that was easy. That's agreed. Um, and I think we're going to hear something of the next one as well. Uh, two in a row. It's now 29 that we're looking at on this edition of Oblong Desk, and we just played you a bit of Usendor featuring Nena Cherry and Seven Seconds, a beautiful, powerful, and one of the most heartfelt anti-racism songs you'll ever hear. Just such, I can remember at the time, having already been a big fan of Nena Cherry's uh, rap stuff, thinking, wow, she can actually sort of sing something really mellow and, if you like, proper uh, as well uh, and 
mixed in with uh, Doors. It's a mixture of uh, some African tribal language and French that he sings the rap in. Just their voices work so well together. I, I love this. I, I have very little to say other than go and listen to it. Go and listen to the words. Uh, enjoy it. It's, it's exactly what music should be. It's powerful. It has a message and it's a brilliant, brilliant song. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I like it quite as much as you do, perhaps because I've played it maybe more on the radio down the years. It's it's one of those where I think it is still played a fair bit. It's regarded as a real 90s classic, which which is fine. Uh, I think up to this point, people had probably only heard of Yusu and Dor in relation to Peter Gabriel's songs, because he did a song with him, didn't he, called Shaking the Tree, which was quite well known, but wasn't a hit. He's a Senegalese singer and, um, interestingly, followed this one up with a single which was um, mainly in French um, with some, again, as you say, like like on this one, uh, uh, other languages mixed in. Um, quite a brave thing to go for a solo song not in English. It was called Undecided, brackets Japolo, because that was the line that he sang for, through most of it. Um and I really liked it. I remember playing it an awful lot when it came out in January the following year. Um, not surprisingly, didn't get in the top 40, but uh, I thought it was a, a corker of a song. As for this one, um, a bit like Sophie B. Hawkins and a few others on this collection, actually. It's another long runner um, at a time when songs didn't hang around much in the charts. This one did. It was uh, a new entry at number 40, and there aren't many songs that enter at number 40 that spend 11 weeks getting to number 3, which is where it peaked. So so it was clearly picking up sales for a long time, which is always the sign of uh, you know a song that's going to last throughout the years. And I think it has done that, which is uh, which is why people still like it and play it now. I tell you where I first heard of Usendor, and that was um, in trails for Andy Kershaw's World Music Show on Radio One, and he would announce that he was going to be playing Usendor, and later the Bundle Boys. Probably because it nearly always was. Yes. Um, yes. 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 That that makes sense. Yes. I mean, he was well known in world music circles, certainly, um, but to the general public, would have had you know, absolutely no idea who he was until this turned up. I suspect. <laughs> Track 12 then, and possibly one of the worst backing band names in history. Uh, It's Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories with Stay I Missed You, which is a very, very weird song for me. Sometimes I can listen to it and go, yeah, I like this. I like it a lot. And then I hear a bit in it that that just really annoys me. So I'm very confused by it. It probably doesn't help it where it's positioned on this album. It's after a couple of strong songs. So if you were listening to this album in sequence, you probably wouldn't think much of it. But in isolation, it's okay. It's it's one of those things. There were a lot of them around at the time. Did really well on American radio. Um, I think this was a period of music history when if it was fairly big on American radio, it was quite likely to be a hit here. That's not always the case, but I think it certainly was then, uh, as the next song proves, in fact. But, uh, yeah, it's it's inoffensive. It's okay. It's nice enough. You can see why it was their only hit, though, I would say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that, that kind of American singer-songwriter thing was certainly prevalent and that we i think we see quite a bit more of that coming up in future nows um track track 13 yeah another example of that uh but one that i really don't get on with crash test dummies and you can't announce this on the radio or indeed a podcast without sounding like a lemon it's mm, 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 mm. 
I think there's something kind of that, that there's some kind of earnest, important message in this song. But I get so annoyed by everything about it. That grating, horrible vocal that's almost sort of spoken rather than sung. The twee piano thing going on in the background and the once upon a time lyrics. I, I, I've just never really taken out what the important message was that I was supposed to. So for me, it's a big no. I, I get annoyed by it. And I know the thing that annoys me lots about it is that several people that I know really, really liked it. And I, they just went down in my estimations. Well, it, it is very much the definition of a Marmite song. I think you really do love it or hate it. You can't, like with Lisa Loeb, kind of sit on the fence and go like, we just have, that's oh, all right. It, it's um, uh, not great for me either. I'm, I'm with you on this one uh, had been a number two hit back in April so it's one of those where Ashley was hoovering up a few songs that he hadn't been able to gather earlier in the year for whatever reason uh, I prefer the follow up Afternoons and Coffee Spoons do you remember that? It got quite a lot of radio play but wasn't a big hit I do vaguely remember it now you've said it but um, like with most things once a band has, once a band's annoyed me they have to work doubly hard <laughs> and afternoon afternoons and coffee spoons wasn't going to win the background oh i don't know i've i've always it's not so much the song itself the the lyrics are quite good i mean it's all about getting old um and as someone uh who now does have a disappearing hairline and occasionally wears pajamas in the daytime to uh quote the lyrics in the song i i do find some kind of synergy with that song uh, i don't actually wear pajamas in the daytime i was making that i don't have pajamas i don't believe in them um um, so, uh, <laughs> well, look, I was made to wear them as a kid constantly. And as soon as I was able to make my own decisions, that was the first thing that went out the door, probably. Anyhow, that's enough of that. Um, shall we talk about track 14, which is uh, which is an odd one, again. Um, after two American big hitters, we get, uh, well, a song that dates back to the 60s it's louis armstrong and we have all the time in the world yeah but this is much more like it for me here's how to have a really gravelly baritone but but manage to make something that sounds wonderful you can't you can't fail to stick this on i mean you, why oh why ashley feels like it's necessary to stick it on a now album from 1994 is anyone's guess i presume it had been in an advert or something like that i think yes. it had I, I, um, will, I will reveal all shortly, but carry on. Excellent, yes, but but it's a fine song. It's a quality song. It's You can't fail to listen to it and not sort of get your pipe and slippers out and puff away <laughs> because it is just, you know, he's got such a great voice. It's so relaxing. It's totally one of those things where you feel safe in Louis' quite large arms. Yeah, agreed. It was in a Guinness ad, uh, almost inevitably. If it wasn't Levi's, it was going to be Guinness, wasn't it? So that's why it was um, reissued. Reissued on the same day that Now 29 was released, actually. So it counts as a pre-release track, sort of. Um, it's a bit sad, though, that it took this um, to be his biggest hit. So it was number three, and you know, up until that point, he'd had the odd hit earlier on but this this was the biggest of course it originally came from a james bond film didn't it that's what it was actually recorded for in the first place i don't think it was ever released as a single because it went out over the end credits do you remember which one it was no you're gonna have to tell me it was on her majesty's secret service which i think is the george lazenby one isn't it 
Ah, right? yes. So the the one no one talks about. But yeah, but, but it's a it's a great fun film. That I mean, the Poe Face Bond fans don't like it because because Lazenby, but it's it's a good film and it's it's a nice song to have playing out at the end. But presumably because it was end credits rather than titles, I guess it never got released as a single or if it did it wasn't a hit so uh, a very very belated big hit for louis armstrong there lovely and um given that it was in a guinness commercial then i think we should raise a glass to it now i shall do that right here's one for you to get your teeth into what's the best song used in a beer commercial send your suggestions to us at the oblong desk on facebook or twitter and if you've got any spare time why not design some oblong desk pajamas and tempt nokes with them coming up these words from him it is like a nail down a blackboard these words from me as awful as that sounds as a concept it would be far preferable than listening to this song which is nonkiness in the extreme we'll hand out a warnock and now 29 continues with robert palmer It's Oblong Desk and John and I are taking a look at now 29 from November 1994. We've got to track 15. You just heard a bit of that. It was Robert Palmer and Know By Now, his penultimate top 40 single. Strange to think that uh, it was that long ago that he was finishing his chart career. Deserved to do better than number 25, this. Um, I think it's got the sound of a top 10 hit for it. And it's it's got one of those things that I like in songs. You can hear him take a breath before he starts singing at the beginning he goes you are and so i won't try and do a robert palmer impression that would be disastrous but you can actually hear that breath which i was quite like actually it's a bit irritating if you're trying to cue the track up and play it on the radio granted but uh, you know they, they don't make these songs for us they do they do it for people who want to play them on their uh, turntables or cd players or whatever it might be mm, i think this is a really interesting song particularly in how it's constructed you've got this kind of haunting verse then an uplifting bridge and then a sort of back to tense chorus it doesn't let you settle at all so very much kind of grown-up music not typical pop and not a typical pop structure uh, and robert palmer particularly in the his later career did that sort of thing very well indeed i mean he's got a great voice um and it's really interesting. There's some lovely harmonies in this as well. Um, I can see why it wasn't a big hit, because for that reason, it, it's not an immediately easy song to listen to. It's brilliant, but it's one you kind of need to stick on and actually properly listen to rather than sort of while you're making your breakfast or yeah. whatever it is. And, you, and yeah, and he's always in a suit, isn't he, Robert Palmer? <laughs> <Yes. laughs> in this video for this song, he's in the sea wearing a suit. Then he's in the jungle and he's still wearing the suit. Then he's in a Roman amphitheatre wearing a suit. I mean, he's very well dressed, but I think possibly. I'm going to put him versus Brian Ferry as the most well-dressed men in pop. Who do you think would win that one? 
Mm, well, I think uh, I think Brian Ferry's probably got the style, hasn't he, to to carry it off. Not not that Robert Palmer couldn't, but I think Brian Ferry's just got that. He's got the hair as well, hasn't he? Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I take your point. It's not as immediate as, for example, uh, she makes my day, which is kind of similar tempo and uh, was a much bigger hit. Um, the sleeve notes um, very nicely, I think, point out to the reader how many different styles Robert Palmer got through in his career. Because, of course, he began doing reggae stuff like uh, Every Kind of People. Uh, then Looking for Clues came along, and that was very new wave, early 80s sounding. You had uh, the rock tracks of the mid-80s, which I'm not a particular fan of, but were his biggest hits, unfortunately. That's the record-buying public for you. And uh, and then, of course, he went a bit bonkers and started yodelling in the late 80s on Change His Way. But at least he always did something slightly different, apart from when he got stuck in that, you know, American rock of the mid-80s, which is a bit tedious. I, I liked that. Oh, I liked I things like Sorry. Simply Irresistible <laughs> uh, and Addicted to Love. They're, they're, they're quality songs. But yeah, overall, a great career. And uh, he left us too soon. I oh, think. and I forgot I forgot um, funk, because he did. Uh, he didn't mean to turn me on, which is basically a funk song. <laughs> To a band whose career had, unlike Robert Palmer, not many high spots at all for me, uh, REM and What's the Frequency, Kenneth? They had one brief moment, and unfortunately, we're finding that this is this is their brief moment where they were at their zenith. I always quite liked this one, actually. Um, I thought it was a good uh, taster. Uh, so I thought at the time, of the uh, forthcoming album, because it was the first single off of uh, Monster. But uh, then I bought Monster, and like I think probably about 99% of people who went out and bought it pretty quickly, um, I was very disappointed in it. Monster is not a great album. Uh, They released quite a few more singles off it, but not many of them were as good as this. I liked Tongue, although Tongue was a very odd song. Um, Not commercial at all. Um, This is all right. I mean, it's quite commercial. It's quite rocky as far as their things go. The title comes from a, a comic book, I think. Uh, I believe it was in like a speech bubble in a cartoon somewhere. I forget exactly what it was now. A uh, listener might be able to tell me. Um, it's it's not their very finest work, but it's all right. It was the start of the falling off a cliff of quality. So, uh, I mean, I think we've discussed this about REM before. I think they just had that brief shining moment and we're, we're seeing the end of that shining moment. Uh, and while this isn't awful, it's certainly the downward spiral. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Automatic for the people is... Without a doubt, their finest album, as I think we've discussed before, haven't we? So, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, track 17, and and to, as you say, the first appearance of many for a colossal British band, um, it's Oasis and Cigarettes and Alcohol. Um, An interesting way to sort of start off your career. I know they had a few singles that had missed out before this, but this is the first big breakthrough. And... um, if you were being unkind, you might dismiss it as a kind of pastiche of a T-Rex song. Um, there's certainly a lot of influences in there, shall we say. But I think, particularly if you look at Noel's side of the band, there's enough quality in Oasis to suggest that the early stuff was them just finding their feet, finding their audience. And I can still listen to this with a degree of pleasure. 
Hmm. Uh, yes, I think I'm going to disagree slightly on this and possibly lots of their songs in the future, I suspect. Um, one thing to note, the um, the sleeve notes uh, very quaintly, in retrospect, explain for you who Oasis are and list all their names. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a little historical document in itself because it assumes that you wouldn't know. And most people wouldn't because, as you say, uh, Supersonic just scraped into the top 40. I thought that was an all right song for what it's worth. Then I think it was Shaker Maker. That I quite liked. Um, this is all the worst of Oasis for me. Um, the problem I had with Oasis is often their songs were just lumpen rock with no real quality or technique whatsoever. And when Liam was on one of his bad days, and this is one of the very bad days, if you ask me, the vocals are just atrocious. Um, it, it used to bemuse me. I used to share a house with someone who hero-worshipped John Lennon. And a lot of people who hero-worshipped John Lennon did hero-worship Liam Gallagher as well. And... Um, yeah let's just say uh, I'm a fan of neither of those individuals but as part of bands they're perfectly fine at times Um, in both cases it says a lot that my favorite Oasis songs um, are the ones that uh, Noel was singing Uh, Liam's vocals do not do it for me I'm afraid ah well we shall agree to disagree on that one then I do think that yes I'm more of a more. I can see more what Oasis bring to the party, um, and I'm prepared to accept a little more than you. Let's talk about though a rock band that certainly stood the test of time. Track eighteen, and it's the Rolling Stones with uh, "Love Is Strong." You, you've got to admire them. They're sticking with a formula from the 1960s and not letting age get in the way at all. And I mean, we're, we're now sort of talking what 30 odd years after they started and still producing credible material because love is strong is a credible piece of rock if you look at the other artists that were from the 60s and still plying their trade in the 1990s well mccartney was washed up uh there's lulu um (laughs) great tom jones was kind of latching himself onto other more credible artists to have hits but you know mick and the boys are here they're plying their blues rock and this is a completely fine effort yeah it's all right isn't it i mean it's it's one of the few that i had to listen to on this album to remind myself um what it sounded like because it it's not one of those you would have probably heard much since. Um, it was their first single for Virgin, which is probably why it got on here. They had been on Now albums in the past, but only very sporadically. Obviously, being on Virgin meant they were pretty much a shoo-in uh, from this point on. But having said that, they still needed to have big hits. Their last really big hit was in 1986. Um, so this marked a bit of a comeback for them, actually. The album Voodoo Lounge was um, what this track comes from, and uh, it was their first chart-topping album since 1980. So they had to wait even longer for a, a big hit album. Um, and it was quite a big hit, this. It made the top 20. Um, so, you know, fair enough that it's on here. Absolutely. I preferred the follow-up song, You Got Me Rocking. That um, that was more my bag but this one is perfectly fine yeah it's um it sits okay next to oasis and considering the age difference you can't say fairer than that really absolutely not right then listener it's uh, oblong desk history uh, being made with track 19 because for the first time ever noakes and i have been unable to conclusively agree on the warnock 
the cranberry zombie is getting it uh, as there can only be one warnock per album that's our rules um but i've i've given in and handed over because of the depth of Noakes's feelings on this which i'm sure he will fill you in on yeah um it's one of those that i've always hated so that was the main criteria for me i looked at this album and thought which ones have i always hated since they came out and there was three that stood out big mountain um one that we'll talk about very soon and uh, and this was the other one and i think the other two you could play them on the radio and you wouldn't be offended um i i am offended every time i have to play or hear this it's um it's just appalling it's a noise the instrumentation is not particularly attractive and and i get what they're trying to do you know it's it i get the message of the song you know i understand that and i'm not going to slag that off because i did that once before and look where that got me have we talked about that before because if not i'm not going yes to... we have right yes okay well refer back to prior oblong desks for that um but it's just the sound of the song itself you know the the subject matters is is fine um and Delores' voice has never been worse than on this it is like a nail down a blackboard um it's i just can't bring myself to say much about it even i hate it that much from my point of view i really dislike the kind of dreariness and the heavy leaden feel of the whole thing uh, even though it's called zombie and, and, and we've discussed that it's intentional that it should sound downbeat and leaden but again yeah i agree with you i i also really dislike the thing i dislike about dolores's voice is that faux yodeling thing oh god yeah that she does which i'm just not a fan of and i'm not i'm not a fan of her voice full stop which is a personal thing and i know that there are lots of people who find her and the band really inspirational and emotionally attacked i I don't think it's emotional to go it just doesn't work for me um that said though I don't want to upset loyal deskettes who might have a special place in their heart for the cranberries. Um, so, so, so we should just say this is our own personal opinion. And if you disagree with us, feel free to do so at the oblong desk uh, and we'll take your criticisms on board because this is a very personal thing, I think, for both of us that we just don't like the cranberries. Well said, yes. And if you want to hear some yodelling, Go and find Change His Ways by Robert Palmer, and that is how to do it while staying in tune and being musical. Um, I never thought I'd be Excellent. recommending Change His Ways on a podcast. <laughs> you told me that a few a few years ago. Uh, it's actually it's one of those songs I really like now. I didn't used to like it, but it, actually it's really well done. That's it for disc one. Yeah, shall we uh, shall we swap discs onto disc two? And um, yes, there's an altogether better start. Yes, it is actually. Um, Around the World by E17 and uh, you know you can see how big they were at the time they got to track one on this disc Um, I don't mind this song I think it's okay there's the two things I'd say about this Um, Slade did the similar idea much much better with Far Far Away which is a brilliant song and also Steam had just come out and got in the top ten so I'm not quite sure why this older song was chosen instead of Steam, because I think Steam is better and would also kick off a disc in a more convincing way. It would have been. It's a fine album, is this one. Um, 
I love it when E17 are doing ballads, though, because they still try and look hard in their videos. <laughs> um, now, I would take issue with Walthamstow being better than other places in the world that they've been to. Uh, and they do say that there's no place like home. I really like this. Uh, and my favorite bit of it is undoubtedly the, the rap where they talk about uh, going from the north to the south to the east to the west because the last line of that is clearly someone's given up trying to think of how to end it because they go it's back to the north the south east the west to the home i love best where i feel blessed and then they just go yes wearing a vest and last line, well yeah and running myself over after eating too many jacket potatoes no that doesn't scan no that doesn't scan it's good uh, as you know i'm a big fan of of tony mortimer and the other three, and that very much is E17. Um, <laughs> Tony, this Brian, Ken, Ken, yes. Yes, yes. Oh, speaking of Tony's, track oh, two. dear. This is another one that very, very nearly this won a Warlock. It's um, Red Dragon featuring Brian and Tony Gold with compliments on your kiss. Uh, Red Dragon was a radio station in Cardiff. It was. This is nothing to do with that. Uh, but but if you say that, you go Red Dragon uh, and then Brian and Tony Gold, who sound like they should have been running the afternoon Sunday lunchtime show on that radio station – probably presenting a love phone-in show called Compliments on Your Kiss, where listeners could send in lovely messages to their partners. Uh, now, as awful as that sounds as a concept, it would be far preferable than listening to this song, which is nonkiness in the extreme. It is, and it dates back far enough to have been on now 28, um, so it was, again, a bit of a late inclusion, um, and I wish he hadn't bothered. I mean, I'd have much more enjoyed four minutes of silence than listening to this. I, I just find it really inauthentic. It's almost as if they've taken a kind of template from some CDs of uh, how to do a reggae tune. I mean, that plinky-plonk, diddly-dee-dee, bit sounds like it's come from some kind of awful game show it's it's just cheap and nasty and i've always hated it and and i'm mystified as to why it was such a big hit because it it's no better than anything else at the time and goodness knows there was enough reggae stuff around yes i think we should ignore it uh and move on to track three oh, which <laughs> is uh, oh they're back again hooray it's shakademus and pliers I thought they had a maximum of two hits, but Ashley clearly was a fan. He's found everything that they ever released and probably things that they didn't as well. It's Gal Wine. Is this a tribute to Lambrusco? Uh, That's the most Gal Wine that I can think of. <laughs> uh, yes, um, I don't think it is, but uh, you'll be pleased to hear this is their last hit. So they're, they're very much um, on the way out. They're walking out arm in arm with Robert Palmer, probably talking about every kind of people or something and uh, yes. yeah this it's a rare occasion i say rare occasion actually it's the second album in a row that's happened i think um where the wrong version is on here it's the hip-hop mix which is uh, laughable in itself um it's got different beats in the background it, it's clearly not the single version uh but it's not any better than that however on the uh, on the plus side for this song it is the only one in chart history to contain the lyric girly girly mr pliers girly girly chackadee so uh, it will forever hold that honor yes and um it is basically just another four minutes of uh, chatting mr shakademus and pliers chatting and leering at ladies and uh, yes speaking of leering at ladies <laughs> oh dear, r kelly r kelly is um <laughs> yes r kelly is track four uh, she's got that vibe now mate do you know the, the there's a certain type of lady that sometimes throws one of those 
Avon parties, but for adults. Oh, yes, yes. You know the ones I'm talking? Yes. Well, uh, I kind of think with She's Got That Vibe, all I can think of when I hear the chorus uh, and R is going, oh, Marie's got it, Cherie's got it, and so on, is that he's blundered into one of these parties uh, and and the ladies present are all lined up with their hands behind their back and only one of them is holding a rampant rabbit toy. And every time he guesses incorrectly who has it, he has to serve an extra year in prison for his alleged crimes against women. Well, that's one way of looking at it. Um, maybe that is what they've got. They could they could have got something else, given the company he he may have kept. But let's not let's not go there. Um, all I'll say about the song is that um, it's another one of those housewife classics. It was at that time until he had slightly bigger hits. The one that you'd always have, you know, women shouting vibe, vibe, and it's just it's crap. Regardless of his current situation, I'm I'm quite pleased that we, we don't really need to talk about him very much. No. Instead, let us play something much more pleasant. Uh, it's track five on Now 29, which is the brand new Heavies and Midnight at the Oasis. It's Oblong Desk with Now 29 in the CD player this time. Uh, Track 5 on disc 2 is the one we've just heard. It's Midnight at the Oasis from the brand new Heavies, a cover version of a song by Maria Muldar originally, got to number 21 in 1974. Brand new Heavies cover, got to number 13. There's a lot of number 13 hits on here. There always seems to be a chart position that gets repeated in terms of chart peaks, and that's it. It's 13. But, uh, you know, it's a good cover. And as with most brand new heavy songs, I think it just makes you feel a bit happier. Um, you can you can certainly say that that was their modus operandi, wasn't it? They were just trying to make the world a better place. They never did morbid kind of uh, dreary songs, did they? No, they've certainly added, I think, the original's quite an ordinary song. There, there's several layers of sass and soul and sophistication on this one. And uh, it, it's an oasis of quality in what is a fairly barren desert of this section of disc two. Um, Um, And speaking of Oasis, a missed opportunity. I I know it doesn't fit together with Oasis in anything other than name, but given the randomness of some of the things (laughs) that are on here, he he actually could have popped this on after Oasis, and it would have been hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I, I love this. I love a lot of the things the Brand New Heavies do. Like you say, they, they make uplifting music with a lot of joy in it and this is no exception and uh, certainly i think way way better than the original it is yeah it is so there you go yeah yeah um track six we're back to dross uh china black and stars um i think this has got one of the most misleading intros to a song ever because when you stick this on and you get the the seductive piano riff there's like 30 seconds where you're going oh this could be something really special. It's really quite hooky and interesting and, yeah, and driven. Uh, and then 30 seconds is up and it turns into the blandest ballad that just goes nowhere and you just end up feeling cheated. 
Yeah, I know what you mean. The intro is the best bit about it. I don't hate it as much as you do, but then I think I I liked searching a bit more than you did, so that's perhaps why. Um, it was a pre-release track, this, and I think it was not unreasonable to assume it would be a big hit, given that searching was. And he got to number 19. Um, I'd say it's better than searching. I think, okay, you never hear this anymore. You might hear searching, you wouldn't hear this. But um, I think the piano bit just about carries it through, just about. Mm, just about yes yeah now track seven's an interesting <laughs> one um music relief uh so it, it's worthy it's africa it's not releasing band-aid for the millionth time so that's a good thing in its favor uh song is what's going on now there is a a veritable list of who's that who appear on this as well as some credible artists of the time as well but um you've got cj lewis taking uh, the lead rap in uh, in this because uh, what's going on really needed a rap in it didn't it um but you've got the likes of roachford aswad edwin star um jules holland mark king from level 42 nick kershaw's on here um peter from d ream kim appleby um rosala Tony DeBart, so all the big names from the time, and Danny Minogue, obviously, because <laughs> yes. it's something that she can turn up and, and be on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... Um, uh, did you mention it's the Marvin Gaye song? If, if you did, then uh, apologies, but... He doesn't appear on no, this. No, no, there, there's mention. a very good reason for that, yes. He'd have had another six feet to go, wouldn't he, really? Um, but, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it's... Um, it's a cover of the Marvin Gaye song, and it's it's as like you say musically, it's okay. I mean, there's a lot of big names on it. There's uh, I agree with you about the rap, but other than that, it's a, it's a fairly credible effort. But uh, I don't know what happened here. I mean, it was a pre-release song, and it's not unreasonable to assume that uh, it being a charity song. The funds, by the way, went to refugees in Rwanda. But um, I hope they enjoyed their couple of hundred quid because that's probably all they got out of this. It got to number 70. Number 70. I mean, the third now album in a row to have a non-hit on it. And this is perhaps the biggest clangor, both in terms of it being on here um, and the fact that it obviously didn't raise much money. I don't think, though, by this point, that there was much appetite for it i think the children in need and comic relief songs were still doing okay although even they weren't probably being as massive big hits as they were previously but i don't think there was much appetite for charity records at this point i think that kind of dipped a bit and maybe that's why it wasn't uh wasn't a hit and also i mean it, it it's not a new and original song like do they know it's christmas and it's not a horrendous novelty song either no so uh, and those seemed to be the things that you are you got one or the other didn't you yeah um it is really quite a good song it's quite a good version of it there is no horrendous clangers in terms of apart from cj lewis and danny minogue's appearances mercifully brief most of the vocals are done by Yaz uh, and Aswad and, and a little bit of help from uh, Nick Kershaw. So, yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with the people singing it. So it just must have been a complete missell or mistimed publicity because I can't see why it wouldn't have done better. Yeah, I think so. Maybe it just didn't get a push um, on radio or on uh, video, I guess. Yeah. A strange one. Many of these artists did appear elsewhere on Now albums, but as music relief, this is, unsurprisingly, their only appearance, and that leads us neatly into Now Where Else, Noakes. 
Yeah, here's the list of artists that appear on this Now album and no other main Now releases. And there are quite a lot of them again with some surprises here. I think there'll be some that uh, raise an eyebrow or two. So, in order of their appearance on the album, it includes, for Now Where Else, Big Mountain, Michelle Gale, Yes, I know. Yusu and Dor, Lisa Loeb and Nine Stories, Crash Test Dummies, Louis Armstrong, bit bit less surprising that, I guess. Red Dragon and Brian and Tony Gold, Music Relief, as we've just said, Celine Dion, M-Beat and General Levy, uh, Shampoo, Sparks and Two Thirds. Now, of those, that's 13 in all, uh, five were either one hit or, in the case of Music Relief, no hit wonders. So, not massive amounts of one-off artists here by any means and uh you know a couple of big hitters in there who um weren't ever featured again not least of which the aforementioned celine dion who gets track eight with her cover of the power of love now i suspect given that she was a sony artist maybe they got this one because it was a cover and therefore the music rights as opposed to the would it be no the publishing wouldn't it i don't know whichever way around it is would be easier to get hold of um that's the only reason i can think of because um this uh was released in february i mean i'm all for hoovering up big hits that are worthy that slipped the net before but something from about 10 months earlier that isn't very good anyway what was ashley thinking when he decided to sling this on I think you just described this as not very good anyway. Um, Words can't express how angry I am that this version of this song exists. And I will happily go around and rip the ears off anyone who bought it. Because the Jennifer Rush original is just everything that this isn't. It has, as the title suggests, power. It's sung with such emotion in the original. As has been said many times of other singers, she could be turning up and singing the phone directory to you because there's no, yeah, it is just, oh, it's horrible. It's horrible that what she does to this. There's no passion. And for the original to be, to be that good and this to be that bad, it's just, oh, I would have given this the Warwick, if I could have done, but, <laughs> but you won this time. Um, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, sorry, I, uh, I, I don't like this either. Just, just to be clear, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't defending this in any way. It is terrible. It's, uh, it, it's almost on a par with um, Whitney Houston doing that song. Uh, the difference is. The, the Power of Love, the Jennifer Rush one, is an excellent song in the first place, and I Will Always Love You, I'd argue, is probably not such a good song anyway, even though it's better in its original Dolly Parton form. But, um, yeah, it's 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 just odd that it's here. Like I said, it's such an old track. I, I can only assume that they would they were so excited to get a Celine Dion track, they just were desperate to put it on. I would have rather had one less track and had this replaced by nothing at all because um, it doesn't add anything to proceedings. Um, But I think the next track is going to make you feel a little bit better, because um, it's a good one, isn't it? It is, and we shall find out what that is in a mere moment. Who's the best-dressed person in pop? Choose from Palmer, Ferry, or one of your own. 
And don't forget to check out the Oblong Desk website at oblongdesk.podbean.com for a recap of all our winners and losers from the entire podcast series. Coming up, our awards for this edition. Plus, Noakes gets excited. Rejoice! Here is where music ends. This is the first Simon Cowell-backed artist to make it onto a Now album. I offer some rap lyric advice. Hotter than bread. Hotter than butter. Hotter than boiling water. Uh, the mad stuntman, he, need, he needs to find better hot things. And the hits continue with the mighty Minogue. is track nine on this two of now 29 it is kylie minogue and confide in me which was her first single for deconstruction it was a a big thing was made of her leaving pwl and going to what was essentially a dance label at the time um made number two this so it was a very big hit i think it only just missed out on number one as well i think it was a, a very close run thing the week it came out um i prefer the follow-up to this i have to say but um i acknowledge this is a very good song and i know you love it so i'll hand over to you to talk some more about it yes i remember when this came out i was at the time just left uni and was working in a chilled food delivery distribution warehouse because that's what a geography degree gets you kids i remember hearing this for the first time and they were saying, you know, as you say, a big deal was made of the fact that she was no longer with Stock, Aiken and Waterman, uh, where she had sort of fallen into that sort of overproduction thing. Uh, this is a huge change in direction. I just remember hearing this and going, oh, my God, Kylie's grown up. It's probably fair to say that had this not been as good as it is, we wouldn't have had the rest of Kylie's career. That This gave her the license to go off and do so many other things because people went, hang on a minute, she can sing. It's not all Waterman. I I love this beyond belief, beyond words. I would say it is my favourite Kylie song. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so kind of raw. There's an intimate vocal. Uh, I love the strings. I love the vibe of it. I love everything about this. And you know how much I love Kylie anyway. Uh, this is this is for me certainly to this point and possibly because there was some other great stuff after it the best thing she ever did yeah love it to bits Mm, interesting i mean it does seem to be one that stood the test of time i know lots of people still really regard this highly um it's always been somewhere in the middle for me i I, maybe top middle of her songs but as you know i love the stock aching and waterman stuff which millions don't so that explains why i rank this slightly lower maybe but uh yeah as you say, its main importance in retrospect is that it was a big enough hit that she could carry on. I mean, there was there was 
2 where that happened there was this and then there was um, spinning around wasn't there a bit later on which was another one that was a kind of make or break really um so yeah good track and uh, from one of your favorites to probably only one of my favorites on this disc but still let's hear some of track 10 which is massive attack and sly long desk with Noakes and me John Tyndall playing you tracks from now 29 this time round and there's track 10 on disc 2 sly massive attack slow sultry sexy stuff it follows on really nicely from Kylie um, and a bit of a James Bond theme vibe to this although it never was Uh, it's very nice indeed and indicative of even better things to come I uh, remember playing this a lot on uh, URM because it was out, I think, back end of October. Now, admittedly, we had a very small sphere of influence at uh, URN, but uh, we were on FM that October, as we were always at that time of year. We had that uh, restricted licence, which enabled us to broadcast to the whole of Nottingham rather than just the campus. And uh, I, as a result, was playing this to death to try and make it a big hit. As I said, limited sphere of influence, but still. Uh, it was a funny period, though. Um, I said I'd talk a bit about uh, my experiences around them. So this time, you've probably followed my history through all the previous Oblong Desks. I was back in Nottingham. I was still looking for a radio job. Um, So I was back on URN. I'd been made to kind of start from the bottom again when I came back, which is fair enough. Um, And I think I ended up doing um, at least a show a day in October because people kept dropping out people being really unreliable and from being a kind of oh you know you have to work your way back up until you do the big shows again by the end of October I was doing a lot of shows I was also the head of sport and head of music by the end of the month so quite a busy time really Um, and I remember uh, one of the privileges of being head of music is you get promos so I still got my promo copy of this I really really like this song I think it's very underrated it was the lead track from Protect um people only really remember the title track now the one with uh, tracy thorn on uh sly got to number 24 sadly it was a pre-release track on now 29 i can see why ashley thought it would be a big hit sadly not and the vocals are by nicolette and she does a cracking job on them as well to eternal (laughs) and track 11 is so good uh it says uh, they have titled that Uh, whether it is so good is is um it's open to question, really. Uh, the, thing, the thing that annoys me about this is there's a sample in it, like somebody's torturing a chipmunk, yeah. and it goes all the way through it. Otherwise, for R&B, it's okay. The chorus at least lifts the mood, uh, and they don't do a bad job of singing it, but it's still R&B, and I can quite happily never hear it again. Yeah, it's. I, I totally agree with everything you said there. It's it's nothing special. The sample is immensely irritating, and uh, it's uh, for it to be on after Massive Attack. Well, talk about gear change. Um, 
But then, <laughs> track 12, Rejoice, here is where music ends. This is the first Simon Cowell-backed artist to make it onto a Now album. Uh, I'm, I'm obviously exaggerating for comic effect there, but you know you could argue this doesn't help. It's Ultimate Chaos, track 12, and Some Girls. I can't think of an occasion where being serenaded by a five-year-old who's telling me about his prowess with the ladies is ever going to be anything other than deeply uncomfortable. Uh, it's like a sort of little own brand Jackson 5. Mm, yeah. Uh, mm. and, also, and also, also, learn to spell chaos, you cretins. There's no K in it. It's C-H-A-O-S. Oh, yes. Maybe it stands Horrible. for something. Uh, Kids are... On speed? No, no, that, that that can't be it. No, that can't be it. No. Disclaimer, that no. never happened, <laughs> probably. Um, but uh, it's, it's got to number nine. Number nine. Who was buying this dross? Um, and they had six top 40 singles. Admittedly, this is the biggest, so, you know, they did get smaller. But still, oh, dear me, dear me. Track 13's better. Uh, it's real to real. Um, with the Mad Stuntman again, can you feel it? Uh, it's very much in the mould of I Like to Move It. The the template is there. But I think the reason this may not have been as deeply successful as that uh, is the rap, which features the lines, hotter than bread, hotter than butter. Uh, and then in the second, second rap, the second sort of time it goes back in, hotter than boiling water. Uh, the mad stuntman he, need, he needs to find better hot things yeah has he ever seen the sun do you think hotter than the sun <laughs> there's a, there's an ambition yes. for him um but uh, yeah I, I i know what you mean uh, i guess you don't really buy real to real records to listen to uh, high quality and thoughtful lyrics do you i mean it, it's okay you can see why it wasn't a big as big a hit as the previous two it's it's you know again we've mentioned it already law of diminishing returns it's very similar stuff it's okay there's nothing wrong with it um it's probably in about the right place on the album it certainly makes you feel better after listening to blooming ultimate chaos and eternal that's for sure all in all it's uh, it, it's entertaining it's got a good groove it, it's it's well worth hearing you know, as an alternative to I Like to Move It. Um, next one, though, I think it's another one of those like I Like to Move It that has gone down in history for its lyrical content. Uh, and if I was to ask you how large a jungle should be, mate, uh, how, how large would you say? Well, John, I consider it to be massive. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, wicked, jungle is massive. Wicked, wicked. Incredible. Well, big up! All the original jungle is massive. The original dancehall jungle is there. General Levy alongside the MB. The world is in trouble. I will be telling murderer. It goes. I am the There's MB featuring General Levy and incredible. I saw a much older General Levy performing this in a tent on Clapham Common a couple of years ago. Uh, and I was struck, first of all, by the very herby aroma in the tent, despite of having a crack team of sniffer dogs on the venue entrance. Uh, they clearly weren't doing their job. Um, and second, by how much the largely ancient crowd, I'm saying ancient as in like our age, uh, who were still totally in love with this track. Also, um, my offspring, uh, who had not previously been aware of this, 
enjoyed this track immensely so so it's kind of got a special place in my heart um i'd say it's a a very superior example of the genre Uh, and whether or not we do it ironically things like booyaka junglist massive and wicked uh, all entered the lexicon of popular culture so i i think i'm prepared to salute the general for a classic of its time yeah um (laughs) yes it is an important song it was the first jungle top 40 hit um that is a fact um originally then it got to number 39 and then they remixed it slightly and it was indeed massive uh top 10 hit but uh, i've never been overly fond of it um it's not even that i don't like jungle music some of it's perfectly fine um i just i don't know why i just never really clicked with this one um but you know, I acknowledge that um, it has its place in music history, and uh, I'm glad that he's still uh, doing the rounds um, with uh, with his special cigarettes, by the sounds of it, in tow, and uh, is still making a living out of it. Why not? Good for him. Excellent. Um, I tell you what, I don't know what shampoo we're up to these days, but I'm really glad it's not making music. Track 15 is Trouble, uh, which mysteriously i seem to remember quite liking and playing you did at the time and i honestly listening back to it now cannot understand what i was thinking it's incredibly offensive lyrically written by a four-year-old and musically played by a four-year-old and if i if i ever played this out of choice which apparently i did then i'm truly truly sorry it's just shouty and nasty Yes, you definitely did, but apology accepted. I hated it then. I haven't changed my opinion now. The thing that really annoyed me, I think, most of all, is that in terms of look, they were very like Fuzzbox, and yet Fuzzbox were kind of washed up by this point, which was a bit of a shame. And here were these two having hits, and they all sounded more or less like this. They had quite a few. They had about four or five hits in the end. But um, no, talentless, awful. Plenty of people still like it, I think. Goodness knows why. Go and wash your ears out and uh, listen to, I don't know, maybe some Blur instead, because Shampoo are followed by Blur's Park Life. Um, No mention of Phil Daniels on here. Now, I know he didn't get a credit on the single when it was released, but uh, you'd think he might have got mentioned in the booklet, but no, no, no mention of his contribution, even though it's quite big. And it's kind of chucked away towards the end of disc two, isn't it, for quite a big, well-known hit. Disc 2, track 16, for what is an iconic song um, uh, and, you know, pretty much the birth of Britpop. It's certainly the song that defines it for most people, I would say. When I had my midlife crisis uh, and learned to play the guitar, uh, this is the first riff that I learned properly. Brackets, it's very easy. Um, I think you mentioned, uh, you certainly mentioned to me that, that one of the reasons we're not playing it is because it's been played to death. Uh, but there's a reason for that, because it's, it is unique, it's quirky, it's fun. And Phil Daniels was an inspired choice, even if he isn't mentioned, to feed pigeons and sparrows. I love it a bit still. I don't care how often it's played. It should be. Yeah, okay. I mean, I I was never that fond of it at the time. Uh, I much prefer Girls and Boys and uh, To the End off uh, 
Park Life, the album. But um, it, it's okay. I, mean, I, I never disliked it. Uh, I think it's all right. I do think it's bizarre. It's, I mean, you wouldn't expect it to be next to Oasis because at this point, who would know what would be coming up a year or two down the line? But, um, you know, it, it, it would have sat better in that disc one section, which has the more indie rock stuff towards the end than it does here. Um, particularly as we go from Blur to Erasure on track 17 with I Love Saturday. Now, I consider myself to be an Erasure fan, but I confess I couldn't remember this at all. Um, it was a pre-release track, so again, it was one of Ashley's punts. Um, it only got to number 20, so it was a kind of middling punt. Um, it's got a very unusual song structure, this. It's another one that doesn't really conform to your typical pop song, and it doesn't quite work for me. You can tell it's the third track off an album to be released as a single, because it's... It's just not immediate enough. I think it was a bit lucky to get to number 20, to be honest. Yeah, um, I, I wrote down exactly the same thing as you just said. I'd forgotten all about it. Um, when I played it back as well, I couldn't remember it until it got to the chorus. But the chorus is unmistakably erasure. It's it's sort of wistful whilst being also melodic. Um I think if you like erasure, it's not going to let you down. But like you say, it's not as earwormy as a lot of their hits and it's certainly you know is as we've just discussed quite forgettable track 18 is a very interesting one sparks and this was a comeback for them uh, after like decades away almost uh, when do i get to sing my way obviously their biggest hit is this town isn't big enough for both of us which still still to this day hasn't been used for a passadoble on strictly and it's a complete and utter outrage dave arch because that, that just cries anyway that's that song this i think still very much has its roots in kind of their 80 synth pop you can hear that coming through quite strongly but there's a contemporary twist and it's it's certainly not an immediate song but i think interesting to have on here and in spite of the kind of all over the place end to this disc it, it's still worth a listen yeah it's a good song it's nice to have these things captured on here we always get one or two at the end of each disc there's probably not so many on this compared to previous editions that we've reviewed actually but um i recently bought the uh, three disc best of sparks uh, collection which is uh, relatively cheap it's not one of the super cheap ones you'll find in the supermarkets but uh, it won't uh, set you back too much and it's well worth it because they did carry on releasing stuff after the 70s they did lots of stuff in the 80s it's just that none of it was successful and when you hear some of their 80s songs you do wonder particularly the early 80s stuff which was absolutely in sync with the music that was uh, in the charts at the time you do wonder what people were thinking they've never really been massively popular i mean they, they've had a bit of a comeback recently proper comeback where they've at least shifted some albums um this was uh this single was released just when Now 29 was being put together, so they didn't know at the time how it was going to do. It was their first top 40 hit since 1979, but only got to number 38, and then they had a go at re-releasing it the following year when it made number 32. Uh, 
you can kind of see why it's not an immediate pop song a bit like erasure it takes a few listens really to kind of get it um the album it came from was brilliantly as with all sparks albums have brilliant titles the album this one came off was called gratuitous sax and senseless violins and um the other two singles off it were um, now that i own the bbc which wasn't even a top 40 hit and uh what was the other one it was when i kiss you i hear charlie parker playing both of those were you know full-on pop songs i mean you know they they both had motivate remixes which tells you all you need to know this isn't in that mold but you know it's still a, a good listen and i'm i'm glad it's here we've got to the end of our review except for this last one track 19 we're going to hear a bit of two-thirds and i want the world is the final track on now 29 which we're reviewing on oblong desk today that is two thirds or two woe third three if you are very literal with your interpretations of artist titles i'll explain Uh, that was i want the world so they're a very underrated boy band i think when you consider we had the likes of well we've already discussed ultimate chaos and uh, bad boys inc and worlds apart and eyc there were just loads of them at the time um this lot um weren't as prolific but i think they were better the probably were hamstrung by the gimmick in their name so instead of a t at the beginning it's a two and instead of an s at the end it's a three that kind of works with the three because a three looks a bit like an s but a number two doesn't look anything like a T. Um, so it's kind of a bit odd, really. They were part of the Tom Watkins stable. He also managed E17. So no surprise that they were support, I believe, on uh, E17 tours at uh, various times. So this song got to number 20. They only had one more hit. I think the best song they ever did was their debut single, which was called Hear Me Calling. Brilliant song. Got a fair bit of um, airplay. And he got to number 48. But I really like this, and it it falls into that uh, category again that we've already mentioned of songs that if they didn't appear on Now albums would have slipped through the net and been lost to history. And I think it's a cracking pop song, this. Yeah, the final track on a Now album can go one of two ways. We've seen some absolute corking huge songs. We've also seen some instantly forgettable take the song out and throw it away. Uh, this is definitely a, a bit of a treat, I think, from Ashley. It's high-energy disco, uh, an easy sing-along chorus, um, and an uplifting way to end the album. I had completely airbrushed this from my brain uh, until I went back and listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. And, and yeah, like you say, it's for boy band stuff. It's high quality, but then, as you say, Tom Watkins very rarely lets the side down where that's concerned. So, yeah what's not to like quality way to end the disc and now all we have to do is decide what we're going to replace some of the dross 
brackets ultimate chaos with <laughs> look what you could have won not, what have you got for me it's not just ultimate chaos so i mean we could probably replace the six tracks on this album quite easily and that that's handy because i've got six for your consideration on uh, look what you could have won um first up snap featuring summer welcome to tomorrow still in the chart when uh, this album went to press got to number six it was on a hits album which is to be discussed in a future desk so that may be why it wasn't on here perhaps they couldn't get the rights because snap were regulars on now albums before um it's not my favorite snap song but um you can see how it would fit in here. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird snap song, actually, isn't it? It's not a sort of traditional sound. No. It's like got... you, I'm not a particular fan of it, but it's better than anything that we've said was terrible, so I'll consider it. Agreed. Uh, next one up, um, they had appeared on Now Albums before. They weren't regulars, but you know, you would assume that maybe the rights could have been negotiated. I uh, don't like this either. In fact, I like this even less. Uh, a number two hit, though, so uh, potentially could have been another massive hit for the album, Always by Bon Jovi. Um, I had a little sneaking regard for some of this period of bon jovi occasionally it really hit the mark the thing with all of the songs that bon jovi were releasing at this time is they were all at least five minutes in some cases six long and that made them perfect for putting on at the end of a radio show and maybe disappearing back to uh, your house and arriving back at your house before they'd finished um yeah, I'm surprised it's not on here. It was massive. It's better than Ultimate Chaos. Yes, I think we can agree on that. Uh, now, this next one, again, it's on the Hits album, so we will be reviewing it in the future, and that may be why uh, it wasn't on here, because they had been regulars. We've talked about them a lot. The Prodigy and Voodoo People, a number 13 hit. A number, number, another number 13 hit, and there are plenty on here already, so that would have uh, that would have been nice to have another one. I don't think it's their finest song, but, uh, you know, a, a bit like Snap, it's a surprise that it's not here particularly as you say when you consider how many of the other prodigy songs appeared on now albums i quite liked voodoo people when it came out again listening back to it now and i do love as you know the prodigy yeah i don't think it's necessarily the best thing to stick on a now album it's still better than ultimate chaos Let's see, there's a theme here, isn't there? Um, now, I think I know why this next one wasn't on, given that it's from a soundtrack to a film, and those were always notoriously difficult to licence. Uh, Elton John, Circle of Life. Only God's number 11, actually. Not a top 10 hit, but um, everybody knows it, and it's Elton John. Um, he was an EMI Virgin stable of groups artist, but as I say, I think the soundtrack aspect probably did for it here. I'm not that bothered. Okay. Um, I mean, there's a special place in my heart for this one because uh, one of my offspring um, performed in the primary school play. They did Lion King. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, there, and therefore, I've seen this performed by a group of very endearing 11-year-olds they would have been at the time. Uh, so that doesn't count, though, because back in 1994, uh, they, they weren't even thought of. So I've just got to judge it on this. Uh, and... Actually, I never really liked The Lion King up to the point where my children were in it. So, um, no, not not bothered. Okay, fair enough. Uh, the next one, I suspect you won't remember. This is this is one that I would gladly have on here. Um, maybe not many would agree with me. Uh, Move it up. 
by Capella was the next one on the production line of Capella singles from this period and got to number 16. It's very fast and loud for a Capella song. It's a bit bonkers, so I can see why it's not on here, but I I had to include it because I love it. Oh, okay then. Uh, that's just for you then, because I don't remember. No, it, I didn't think and you would. No, I didn't think you would. I, I'm not. As, I'm not. I don't think anyone's as into Italian house as you are. So uh, just me and Gianfranco Bortolotti left flying the flag. I think. Yeah, I, I'm willing to suspect that it's better than Ultimate Chaos. It is. You're right. And so is my final one, which um, is the second hit for Let Loose. So you'll remember we had Crazy for You on the previous Now album. Uh, their follow-up to that was not quite as big. Got to number eleven, same as Alton john so that's no uh, it's no slouch really and it's called 17 and uh, it's a brilliant pop song i think oh i remember this one actually and, and you're right it is a brilliant pop song this is a very interesting choice i've got to make now because normally i would just go yeah the prodigy but actually actually i don't think that you just get in there as of right and, and voodoo people as i say in retrospect isn't one of their best I think the one that I'm most surprised at is Bon Jovi because they are huge Mm. uh, and have been going around for a while and you'd think that you'd stick that on there. And the one that I would put on there for my own personal reasons I think is going to be Let Loose. And I heartily concur. That would be my choice. Much as I love Capella, Move It Up wasn't a massive hit and was too bonkers, I think, to insert anywhere, even with Ashley's random, uh, seemingly jigsaw puzzle approach to this uh, this collection. I think Let Loose would have fitted in beautifully at the end of disc two, where we get those kind of boy band songs, uh, maybe before two thirds or even after to end the album, because uh, it's got a nice little outro as 17. It's got one of those kind of long fadey outro outros that um, would have been nice to have on there so yeah we're both agreed on that then that is our choice let loose and 17 mystifying how that didn't get on there quite honestly so to the point now where we pick our favorite track from now 29 um shall i go first because yes, mine please. is a dead easy choice yes right okay it's minogue confide in me it's her best song it's a phenomenal song I love it to bits. It's the standout track on this album. Yeah, I'm struggling a bit because there's lots on here I like. There's no one strong standout track like you with Kylie where I think, you know, this is the best thing they ever did. Um, There's a lot that bring back happy memories. Uh, MC Sarr and The Real McCoy, for example. Uh, There's plenty of good underrated songs. Sophie B. Hawkins, Robert Palmer, um, Massive Attack and sparks and two-thirds even um i i'm struggling here but i think because i like to pick an underrated one and because it brings back such strong memories of the time i'm going to go for massive attack and sly i think there we go folks now 29 done and dusted uh, that means we're moving on to a, an entire new set of tens we're going to be in now 30 next time round yeah we are next time we do it now yeah we are exciting stuff yeah we've got some hits albums just to cover off before we leave 1994 behind haven't we but uh, that's for another time but as you say next now album will be now 30 and we'll be into 95 then blimey 95 that was a that was a big year for both of us i think so uh, more on that anon are you going to tell the listener how to get in touch if they uh, vehemently disagree or have any points to raise yes absolutely um you can go to our website, which is oblongdesk.podbean.com, where all 
oblong desks are available to download and there's also heaps of information uh, on the show if you are a new listener to us and you're going what do you mean warnock what do you mean urn <laughs> lots and lots of things like that are explained on the website oblongdesk.podbean.com you can also get in touch on social media we are on twitter and facebook and the handle to do that on is at the oblong desk uh, there you go that's it yeah thanks it's time for us to leave yeah lo- lots of things are explained as you say on the website but just bear in mind no one has still been able to comprehensively explain the success of ultimate chaos and on that note it's time for us to say goodbye until next time so ta-ra Oblong Desk was written, presented and produced by Noakes and John Tyndall with original music by John. Go to the website for all the editions and to like, share and follow. Follow.